imagine with as many piano players as we have in the church that uh, this happens to be a night where we uh, where we don't have one. We do have one, but she's not well. Uh, Beverly Black uh, is a pianist, but uh, you know, sometimes we I think worry too much about things like that. Uh, you know, whenever you have a a, a piano player here, it certainly helps and it's a blessing, but uh, the fact that we don't shouldn't have any effect on our attitude. Well, open your Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter number 14. We're going to wrap up this chapter tonight. Just a few verses to go to get through this chapter, and... Uh, the reason being is some way or another, I have no idea how I did this, but in the last message from Proverbs 14, I skipped over a couple of verses. I went from verse 27 to verse 30. I had no idea that I even did that. Uh, in, in fact, I think it was the next day, uh, I believe it was my daughter Angie said, do you know that you just skipped over verse 28 and 29. I, really? And uh, so anyway, I am aware of that, so we're going to go back and we're going to pick up those two verses. Uh, but the fact that we have only a few verses to go in this chapter and we're not going to launch into chapter number 15, well, maybe that's a good thing. So verse number 28 is where we're going to start tonight. In the multitude of people is the king's honor. But in the want, that is the lack of people, is the destruction of the prince. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to identify with the with the uh, with the Old Testament and the forms of government and so on and so forth because things are so very different today. Uh, but but certainly it's easy enough for us to understand that whenever we look at the children of Israel, for example, or any other nation that was uh, uh, under a king, somebody ruling in authority over the people and what have you, uh, that it was very important that he had the support of those people, regardless of how intelligent he was or regardless of how much money he had or whatever, uh, if he had no concern for his subjects uh, and he abuses the people, eventually those people are going to be provoked into a revolt against him and, and consequently uh, he's going to be, find himself deserted by his, his subjects, the very ones that normally would protect him, uh, the very ones that would bow down in his presence, those very people will turn against him whenever it reaches the point that they realize he is simply using us for his own personal gain. So the point is that his people is his strength and his kingdom is secure only so long as he has enough willing people to defend his kingdom. If that number is reduced down to where there is only a handful of people, uh, consequently the, the enemies are going to exploit the weakness of that particular nation, take advantage of them, 
They're not only going to overthrow the kingdom, they're going to destroy the king. Now, we have an entirely different form of government today here in America, but there's certainly an important lesson in this for us. And I say that because we have many leaders today who have the idea that the government is first and that the people are second. And it's absolutely mind-boggling to me the attitude a lot of people have about our Constitution. I mean, they absolutely disregard our Constitution. And, and, and it's, a, it's a shame because, you know, we're in jeopardy of losing our freedom and we're going to be leaving this mess to our children and our grandchildren. And so a lot of these folks have it entirely backwards. That's why we've got all of this big government. Now, I, you know, I don't aim to turn this into some sort of a political rally tonight or anything like that, but, uh, but, but I will say Ronald Reagan sure had it right, talking about the government existing for the purpose of the people, you know, and the best government is the least amount of government, and that's the way that it ought to be. And now we're living in a day where they're taking away the state's rights, and, uh, and so we're in a mess. That's all, all I can say. Now, here, here's, here's the whole thing. These people think they're making, you know, great strides in doing this, but the same monster that they create in doing this someday will turn against them. In other words, whenever, whenever, you, whenever you discredit capitalism and you teach people uh, to become dependent upon the government, and, and after a while these people, you know, have the, uh, you know, the philosophy, the government owes it to me, you know, that, that's the government's job, supply me what I need. And so that's their mentality. And whenever the welfare checks are cut off, whenever all of a sudden they don't get the things they want, uh, we already know what happens. They'll ride in the streets, they'll burn down, they'll burn down their own p- people's businesses and what have you, and destroy cities. And look, I'm not talking about any racial issues when I say that either. Uh, it doesn't make any difference what color your skin is. And you do stuff like that, you're just plain stupid. And we've got a lot of stupid people nowadays, you know. And, and, and I'm telling you, these are the same people that one day, whenever, whenever they stop getting what they want as a result, as a result of a government that for the sake of winning elections and getting in power, promise them the moon. When they don't deliver, sooner or later, it's going to cost them dearly. But the sad thing is we all get hurt in the process. That's why that, uh, that the Bible, the principles of the Bible, is so very important. You see, the Bible works whether it's a theocracy or whether it's a democracy or what, whatever it is. The Bible will work. Uh, under any circumstances if we follow the principles of the Bible. And whenever we think about the manner in which God tells us to treat one another, the respect and the love that we're to show one for another, etc., and we look at all of that and realize that, hey, any society is better off when it goes by the principles of God's Word. And we can argue back and forth forever about whether or not America was ever, you know, a Christian nation, you know, per se. Uh, we We can bicker about that. But there can be no argument about the fact 
that, that our nation was founded upon Christian principles. And so that's what I'm talking about. And whenever we desert those principles and we launch out on our own without any genuine concern for our fellow man, eventually that nation's going to fall. And, and so here in the context of a king ruling over the people, uh, the warning is, you, you, you know, you better take care of those people because your safety is in the multitude that follow you. And whenever it gets down to where you've only got a handful, someone's going to overthrow you. Now, verse 29, he that is slow to wrath, that is, is, of, is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Well, boy, we, we just camp out here for about 30 minutes real easy. Uh, but you probably noticed that a lot of people today are, are like powder kegs. You, you know, I mean, all, all it takes is just a spark to set them off. You know, it might be out on the freeway somewhere, and uh, somebody will happen to cut them off or whatever, and they just go absolutely bonkers because somebody disrespected them. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say a lot about this or I'll be stepping on my own toes here in a minute. But, uh, you know, uh, but a lot of people just have a chip on their shoulder. Notice, he that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. And uh, we're going to get ourselves in trouble if we're one of those people where, you know, it doesn't take much to get us mad. We're going to end up getting in trouble as a result of that. He that is a hasty of spirit exalteth folly. And uh, you know, so many times whenever we're facing a situation that's unpleasant or we're dealing with someone that is uh, disrespectful or whatever the case might be, if we'll just be patient and we'll just wait, it has a way of working itself out. So many times we might say something to one another, make a comment to each other, and, and, and sometimes it might be in jest. You know, we'll just make a comment when if somebody else is in a bad mood, you know, they'll take it the wrong way. And so after a while, you've got one of those full-blown arguments of slamming doors and, and you know, and stuff like that. And, and it all started over some little innocent comment. And, and we were too hasty and we jumped to conclusions. And, you know, we, we thought they meant one thing and, you know, they actually meant another. And so here we've got a full-fledged family fight going on over something that tomorrow we're maybe laughing about it. Uh, I'll bet it's happened to all of you whenever you think back to some situation that you were going through, and at the time you were infuriated. I mean, as we say in Missouri, madder than an old wet hen, and you, you, you were just infuriated by it. A week later, or maybe years later, you'd be sitting around and you say, do you remember that time? <laughs> you remember that time when, you know, and now you're laughing about it. And, and so it, it's a whole lot better off if we don't jump to conclusions and if we don't fly off the handle, if we don't, you know, just try to deal with every issue. Uh, we don't have to fix everything. A lot of times if we'll just wait on the Lord, He'll fix it for us. And we get in trouble whenever we think, and boy, that was a, probably my most common mistake as a young preacher when I started out because 
I wanted to do everything right. The last thing I wanted to do was to be a compromiser. You know, I didn't want anybody thinking I was a compromiser. I wanted to do everything right. And if something wasn't right, I thought, well, you know, I've got to deal with it right now. I, I, I can't wait. In the first church I pastored, um, and it was within, I don't know, just, uh, well, let me think for a minute and I'll figure it out, but it was just a matter of, uh, of a few months, I guess. And so it was on a Sunday morning before the service, just a few minutes before the service, and uh, so the pastor at the Assembly of God Church in town came down and, uh, and uh, wanted to speak with me, and unbeknown to me, Every year for umpteen years, you know, all of the churches in that area had got together for an Easter sunrise service. And uh, and he wanted to know, you know, if, if I was going to announce it and support it and be there and everything. And being a new pastor, he didn't know anything about me. And I let him know, absolutely not, we're not going to be there. Why, why would why would we why would we support something like that? Whenever you've got all of these different denominations there together, and 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 you know they don't even believe the same thing. Some believe in salvation by works. Some believe like we do, salvation by grace. And and uh, and naturally, I was right in all of the things I said. But I thought I had to get all of this straightened out on Sunday morning. And so for the next 30 minutes after that dude left, the congregation got a lecture on why we'll never be a part of a community-wide Easter sunrise service. And uh, (laughs) uh, needless to say, there was a cold spirit in the service that day. And... uh, yeah, and I, I, I'm not saying that that I that I should have just said, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll jump on board. We're all behind it. I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's a right way and a wrong way to deal with things, and when we deal with them in wrath, and we've got a hasty spirit, we're going to end up getting ourselves in trouble. Well, that brings us to verse 31. Verse number 30 has so much to say, but we talked about that last week. It's so important. Let me just read verse 30. A sound heart. A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. I I, I wrote an article today, and I'll be sending it out in the next day or two in the Think About It section, and it, it, it has to do somewhat with this because it speaks about our attitudes. And you know, there's so many times that, uh, that, that our attitude is entirely different than our actions. For example, the Bible speaks about those that, that, that hide hatred with lying lips. Uh, you know, you see somebody and you shake their hand. Oh, it's so good to see you. It's been so long. I'm so glad to see you today. And really, you just think, oh, no, not them again. I, I don't even like those people, you know. And, and, and you know, <laughs> I don't mind telling you, that upsets God whenever we have an attitude like that. But there is a lot of times whenever our attitude is not what it ought to be. And so here we go pretending that everything is all right. And the fact of the matter is other people 
know what's going on, and they can see that. And, and the result of that is going to be devastating because somebody's going to end up getting hurt badly as a result of that. We can hide how we feel just so long. And so many times we think that we can, you know, we can hide it with our cute little remarks and stuff like that, but it bleeds through. And let me just, let me just tell you, it'll catch up with you. If you don't deal with it. Now verse 31. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker. But he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. It's really amazing how some people think they're better than, uh, than poor people. You know just because they've got more money. And instead of feeling pity for them. Instead of offering them help. You know, they, a lot of times they'll make life more difficult for them. Now, I'm not saying that we ought to give to every panhandler. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, over, over the years, uh, as a pastor, and every pastor goes through the same thing, and that is you get people coming by constantly. Brother Ron can tell you, Brother Ron is here in the office I've got the office at the house, and I spend nearly all of my time there instead of here. Uh, and uh, whenever he first started this, this is something he'd never had to deal with before because you'll get people coming by, you know, wanting help. And the strange thing is, if you help them, I'll guarantee you they've, they've got a network. They really do. And they'll go tell the others. And, and by the way, I, I've discovered that about 95% of all of that is scams. It's exactly what it is. But we must not allow, we must not allow the possibility of being deceived and even hurt stop us from doing some of the things that we need to do. In other words, I can't just say, oh, well, somebody took advantage of my kindness, so I'm not going to help anybody. I certainly believe that we, you know, that we ought to, uh, we ought to be wise in the manner in which we spend God's money. Uh, we shouldn't, you know, we can't help the whole world. Uh, th- that's obvious. And, and we have a responsibility to help one another, to minister one to another. The Bible says do good to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. So we have a special obligation to help one another as members of the same church body. Uh, but we can be kind to the poor wherever we find them. And notice, if we oppress the poor, notice he says, that is a reproach unto our Maker. It's really amazing whenever, you, you know, the manner in which some people treat these people, but yet they don't have the same attitude about themselves. Uh, so many times we look at, maybe you're thinking, well, what are you talking about? I mean, you know, we look at somebody and say, you know, they really don't deserve any help. They, they, made, they made their bed, let them sleep in it. You know, they created the problem. Uh, they had the same opportunities and advantages I did, and just look where they're at today. They don't deserve any help. Uh, are we going to base everything we do on whether somebody deserves our help or not? We better not. We better apply that same principle of grace toward others that God exercised toward us because none of us deserved His goodness. And uh, 
I want you to notice this is an interesting, the most interesting part of this verse to me, and that's the word maker. He reproacheth his maker. Now, he could have used a lot of different words to describe God, right? You know, he could have said, He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his heavenly Father which is in heaven. Right? He could have said that. Why did he choose maker? I believe he used that word because God is the maker of all of us. Some people believe in what we call the universal fatherhood of God. They say God's, uh, you know, we're all God's children. You've heard people talk like that. Yeah, well, we're all God's children. doesn't make any difference what you believe or anything else. We're all God's children. No, we're not all God's children. Uh, John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus said of those that are unsaved, that ye are of your father the devil. We're not all God's children, but we are all, we are all God's creation. God made all of us. Whether we're rich, whether we're poor or whatever, God created us. And by the way, God not only created us, but it is God that gives us the power to be rich, to get wealth. And, and so whenever we look at these people that are poor and down and out, we need to understand that these people are a special creation of God, that God cares about them. Because God cares about them, we ought to care about them. So many times we talk about, you know, uh, we do this for Jesus' sake. that's a good thing. We need to understand what that means. Whenever we interact with other people and as we deal with other people, we want to treat them right. Why? For Jesus' sake. It's not about getting a feather in our cap. It's not about, you know, helping them whether they deserve it or not. It's about doing it because that's what the Lord would do. And uh, we'll have a lot more to say about this when we get to chapter number 19. But uh, the whole point of this is that if you want to honor God, and I I certainly hope that's the desire of your heart, if you want to honor God, then you have to show mercy to the poor. And And when I say that, that's not all about giving money to the poor. Showing mercy has to do with extending kindness to the poor. And we can do that in a lot of ways other than, you know, giving them their money, especially, you know, if we give them their money and, and, and we know what they're going to do with it. They're going to take off and go down, you know, and uh, get, get uh, some wine or smoke some pot. If we, know, if we know that's what they're doing with it, we ought not to give it to them. Of course, a lot of times we don't know. And we just have to let the Holy Spirit guide us in what we do. Verse 32 The wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous have hope in his death. Look at those two words, driven away. I mean, that's a dreadful thought, driven away. And just think about what is implied by that, that whenever a person sets themselves against God, they're going to lose. They decide they're going to fight against God. They're going to be on the losing, losing side. And it says they'll be driven away. Remember whenever the Lord was talking about those that will stand before him and, uh, and they boast and brag about what they've done, you know, 
in your name, you know, we've cast out devils. We've done many wonderful works in your name, da, da, da. And what does he say? Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. I never knew you. Now, in that rejection, understand that it's more than a matter of the Lord saying, I never knew you. Those that are wicked, that have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, it says they shall be driven away. Driven away. That, that, that is to say God has no place in His heaven for those that disrespect the blood of Christ, those that reject the grace of God, they're going to be driven away. But the wonderful news is the righteous hath hope in his death. Isn't that a great thing to have hope in your death? You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't know Brother Rayford very well. He was a, the, the gentleman whose funeral was just, I forgot what day it was this week. Uh, they, they came, what, what was it? Monday, and uh, they'd always sit right back there where Norma is. I had no idea these folks started coming. Donna Rice, uh, they were customers where she works, and she got to know them, invited them to church, and they showed up. And and so uh, uh, anyway, they started coming. They loved the church. So I go I go to the funeral service, and uh, and I saw Brother Barry there standing over there with the CD, and I thought, what in the world is he doing here? And he had a CD, and so I, I was talking to Brother Rayford's uh, sister, and and I, I said, uh, "Is Barry out there? Is he is he going to sing?" She said, "Yeah." I said, "Y'all know Barry? Oh yeah, they've been family friends for years, you know, and known known each other and what have you." And and in, anyway, whenever they showed up, all of a sudden they found somebody that that they that they knew. Now I'm, I'm saying all that to say this. Over and over and over again in the couple of months, I guess, that they had been coming, he, uh, he, he had missed the last two or three weeks because of his illness, of which I had no idea it was as bad as it was. And so every week, Bev and I would talk about we need to go out and see those folks and get better acquainted with them and, and actually made plans to do so. And, I, and I'm telling you, every time we let something get in the way or something would happen and didn't get out there. So when I went to the funeral, I, I didn't have any idea of what to expect. Uh, I, I really didn't. I, I had never had the opportunity to talk to him about uh, his salvation. And, and, and come to find out, uh, he'd been raised in church, he and his sister and, and his mother years ago had sang gospel, Southern Gospel music uh, here in the area, and, and and just a wonderful, great Christian family. And, and I mention that because notice here he tells us that the righteous has hope in his death. And what a wonderful thing it was to be at that funeral service knowing that here is a man that has a testimony of salvation, that loves the Lord, and, and now his family can rest upon God's promises that he is in the presence of God. And believe me, I've been in so many funeral services where, where you didn't know and some where you did know. 
that the person had spent their lifetime rejecting Christ. And how sad it is to think about leaving this world without any hope. And nobody has to die that way. There's hope for every single person that will put their trust in Jesus Christ. He will forgive you of your sins. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He'll make you a child of God. He'll take you to heaven. And He'll help you until you get there. Everything you need is found in the person of Christ. Don't leave here without hope. But like it says in the book of Job, the hypocrite's hope shall perish. There's no hope for the Christ rejecter. Verse 33, Wisdom resteth in the heart of him that hath understanding. But that which is in the midst of fools is made known. Now, if we take those two phrases together, and that's what we ought to do, by the way, the first part of this indicates that a person of understanding doesn't try to make a display of his wisdom. Notice, his wisdom rests. It abides in the heart of him that hath understanding, but that which is in the midst of fools is made known. And, and so the person that is really truly wise is not someone that always has to comment on everything and always has to, you know, think they've got to say something to impress people to show them how smart they are. Uh, you know, it's the fool that just every time thinks they've got to spill their guts, so to speak, and make their thoughts known. It's kind of like they love to hear themselves speak. And uh, years and years ago, we um, in the first church I started in Missouri there, when we had a fellow that was uh, uh, a member of the church and started out there there with us and he was a very quiet gentleman and for a long time I thought he was just sire. I thought, well, this, he's a sire puss. I don't know about this guy. Or, or maybe he's mad about something. You know, I, I, I don't know. We'd have a meeting and discuss different issues uh, and uh, he, just, he never would say anything. And I thought, man, you need to jump in on this and we need your input. He's a very intelligent guy. But I learned over a period of time that he spent more time listening. And he would sit there and he would listen, he would listen, he would listen. About the time we thought we had everything figured out and what have you, he would say something that made more sense than, than everything else put together. And so, you know, we don't, have to, we don't have to try to put our wisdom on display before people. Uh, it just it becomes obvious that it is in our hearts just, you know, without us tooting our own horn. Now, verse 34, I've got to wrap this up. Righteousness that exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Boy, I, I don't need to tell you in the light of the condition of America today, boy, th- this deserves like a full-length sermon and uh, it shows us, you know, where we've been and where we're headed. And I mean, it gets right down to the very heart of what our nation needs today. I, I was thinking, and I'm sure many of you have been watching the news, and 
Every time you turn the news on, why you see the Pope, the Pope this and the Pope that, and listening to the comments that some of those some of those people make, it is so heartbreaking, so sad. You know, a lot of people have wondered about when the Bible talks about the Antichrist coming on the scene and by his persuasive speech, how he's going to, it's like cast a spell upon the nations and boy just everybody's going to start following him and it, it, just, it, it almost seems impossible but whenever, whenever I see what's been on the news the last few days and see people worshiping a man like that I can see very easily how it will be that when the Antichrist comes remember he's going to be a miracle worker I mean, the Bible talks about he's going to pull fire down from heaven. He's going to work miracles and, and so forth. And there are going to be people all over jumping on his bandwagon. And the Bible says, and God will send them a strong delusion, and they will believe the lie. And they'll be damned because they receive not the love of the truth. It's so sad to see people deceived. And it's so sad when we think about our nation. Notice, righteousness exalteth a nation. Uh, some, of our, some of our founders have said that our Constitution was designed only for a godly people and it will not work under any other kind. The success of our Constitution depends upon the godliness of the people that make up this nation. Verse 35, and I'm done, I'm just going to read it. The king's favor is toward a wise servant but his wrath is against him that causeth shame. I guess the best way I know to comment on that is, is uh, don't do something that's going to make you hurt yourself. The king's, the king's favor is toward what? A wise servant. If you want God to bless you, then you need to act in wisdom. But his wrath is against him that causeth shame. I hope that something's been said in our study here in chapter number 14 that's been a blessing or a help to you in some way. And uh, I'm still thinking of whether we ought to maybe uh, take a break from Proverbs for a while or keep on trucking, and I'll let you know next Wednesday night. So, all right, any comments, any, anybody, maybe an announcement that we forgot about or any news? All minds clear.